Welcome once again to the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dolan Thomas, and uh, today we've got the season finale, season two finale. We've made it through two seasons so far. It's kind of amazing. Um, so where are we going to close is a uh, bias called the Texas Sharpshooter Fallacy. And I like this one, and it's a good one to close on because it kind of sums up a lot of different uh, fallacies and biases are kind of wrapped up in this. Uh, the basic way it works, and I think we may have talked about this before when we were talking about a, a previous bias, I think the clustering illusion, um, is that, you know, imagine somebody goes outside uh, with a gun and shoots at, like, a t- um, like uh, the broadside of a barn, right? Just shoots at their barn. And then wherever they shot, they then draw a target, and then they can tell anybody else, hey, look how good of a sharpshooter I am. I saw that target and I shot at it, right? That's not what really happens, but the way it looks, oh, the uh, my hypothesis is that because I see a hole inside of a target, you must be a really good sharpshooter, right? And I'm going to use that evidence to test my hypothesis, right? So it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, but that's just it, right? You're, you're cherry-picking your data to fit your assumption or your argument, right? To say, hey, look what a good sharpshooter I am. Um, you see that thing, right, that you don't know that I actually just made up, right? And, and the basic principle that, you know, you use in scientific studies is do not use the same data to create your hypothesis as you use to confirm it, right? Like if I really wanted to test that, I would have him point at a different target and shoot, right? I would use different data to say, okay, you say you're good at this. You've presented evidence that you're good at this. Let's run it again, right? Let's get new evidence to see if that hypothesis is true. And this kind of gets back to the real definition of the scientific method, which we have talked about before with the confirmation bias, right? Is we invented the scientific method to kind of fight confirmation bias, and the approach isn't so much, hey, I have this hypothesis, I'm going to test it, and if it's right, great, I can move on. It's no. Now that you've tested it, I want you to think of, if I'm wrong, if I'm still wrong, what else would be true? Let me go test that, right? Because you can't just be satisfied with this with this set of data. So again, if you were to use you know, what works for the confirmation bias works for the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. If you were to say, okay, well, if that person isn't a good sharpshooter, what else would be true? Well, they wouldn't be able to hit another target. That would be one thing. Let's test that, right? Like that's the approach you have to take if you want to have any kind of scientific rigor and not fall for this bias. Um, And uh, I I may have mentioned this before in a previous podcast. I probably have because it's such a good example, but there's an episode of Ed where, um, did you ever see Ed? It was actually a really good show. There's probably just a whole other podcast to be had there, but um, uh, Ed was a lawyer in a small town, and one of the cases he got was there was a guy who got a letter um, that said who was going to win a particular baseball game, and the letter was correct, right? And then he got another one, and another one, and another one, and finally, all of after all of them were correct, he got another letter saying, hey, I will tell you who's going to win the next baseball game if you send me some money, right? There's the hook. Now, it seems like a foolproof thing, right? Like, well, of course, these last four or five games this person predicted correctly. Why wouldn't I give them money to get the next one? But what you don't know is that that same person has sent out multiple letters predicting multiple winners, both sides, right, um, to lots and lots of people. And simply by chance, right, by the, the, the law of averages, some of those are going to be correct, right? If you if you predict every winner for every game, right, that if you predict both sides are going to win every game and then just send different winners to different people, eventually you are going to have a run of wins. But also eventually that will lose, right? So that person sends in their money and then gets the new um, pick uh, for who's going to win the game. And of course, it's wrong, and now they've wasted their money, right? Like, but that's that's a way you can kind of take advantage of the Texas sharpshooter fallacy to to get people to think based on the data they've seen that this thing must be true. 
And you can kind of see it also with intelligent design, right? It's this notion that, well, look how perfectly our world fits together. There's no way that could happen by chance. But if you give a billion universes, a billion chances, and a billion chemicals to work with in enough time, actually, yeah, you might actually get that because you're just dealing with such huge numbers that it's almost inevitable that you're going to get something like what we've got. Um, the most plausible explanation isn't necessarily that it is by design. Um, and you get a little bit of the, the replication crisis we talked about before too, right? Where, hey, here's this person who had this result. I'm going to try to replicate that result. And if I can't get quite that, I'm going to do something like it, right? So we talked before about the marshmallow experiment where someone had someone uh, had, had kids sort of try to resist like eating marshmallows and sort of tested like uh, how well they did, how, how much grit they had basically. And they got these really interesting results. And then someone tried to replicate them with marshmallows. And it may not have worked exactly with marshmallows. So they tried it with chocolate chip cookies and that did work. So so they counted that as a replication when, in fact, it wasn't really, right? So they were kind of, again, cherry-picking their data. Um, and uh, as I had mentioned before, there's an episode of Radiolab about this I highly recommend you check out that's all about the replication crisis in science. Um, I worry that some of the evidence I've given on this podcast come from studies that have also suffered from that replication crisis, so grain of, grain of salt. Um, uh, and... Another bias that this kind of reflects that we've talked about is the survivorship bias, right? This idea that if you see, like, you know, news reports of this, you know, all these people who get rich quick or have these crazy successful careers and they're entrepreneurs and they've done these amazing things, and it seems like, oh, well, there's a tried and true formula to do that. And what those stories tend not to highlight is the thousands of other people who tried the same stuff and it didn't work, right? Um, it just cherry picks, like, the winners to make you think, oh, this is the tried and true method of doing a thing when it's not. Not really. Um, and the clustering illusion, apophenia, all of these things, which basically talk about seeing patterns where there aren't actually patterns, like that's just a big human flaw. We like to see patterns. We like to complete stories, right? We like to fill in the gaps with stuff that may or may not be true. And while that's great for things like storytelling, right? I'm a storyteller. I like to make movies and like persistence of vision and the way we actually stitch ideas together is integral to good storytelling. That's wonderful for entertainment. It's kind of terrible for life, right? It's kind of terrible for actually living your life or making policy or deciding who should go to jail, right? Like when it gets to like a real shit, you want to have like some kind of rigor around that to make sure we don't fall into our own traps. Um, so there's another really good example I read about um, Sweden in 1992. Um, they were trying to determine if there's any connection between power lines and bad health outcomes. So people who live near power lines, were they having any weirder health effects than anybody else, right, who didn't live near power lines? And they did this really big survey, right? So it went over 25 years, and it looked at anybody living within 300 meters of a, a power line, and it studied, like, across 800 different potential ailments, right? And sure enough, uh, childhood leukemia rated four times higher for people living closest to power lines. That might sound like a, you know, a dead-end uh, obvious result, okay, we got it, we nailed it, this is the thing we need to watch out for. But again, when you're dealing with numbers that huge, right, 800 ailments, 25 years, how are you not going to have some weird cluster of events that happen in that time frame just by chance? Because you're looking at such a huge sample set, such a huge potential um, series of outcomes. I mean, 800 different ailments, someone's going to have something in this weird statistical anomaly if you look at numbers that large. And sure enough, when they tried to repeat the results, they couldn't get it. Like subsequent studies showed no risk, right? Um, and uh, another example is, um, and this was a favorite of mine growing up, like Nostradamus. Like I grew up in the 80s and there was this whole 
whole thing in the 80s where like Nostradamus was this guy who lived back in, you know, the olden days and he predicted all these things like he predicted Hitler, right? Except he was one letter off. He said Hister instead of Hitler, like all these really like crazy predictions. And the thing is, there was some of that same sharpshooter effect happening where people were kind of cherry picking things and kind of contorting some of the stuff he said to fit some of the things that happened in history because it made for a better story. Um, and again, if you make enough predictions, eventually you're going to get some of them right. Like it was a lot of that kind of, you know, thing uh, going on, like the broken clock being right twice a day kind of thing where it's like, yeah, it's right now at noon, but wait a while. It's wait one minute. It's, it's going to be wrong again, you know? Um, and like I said, confirmation bias definitely plays into this as well, right? If I think you're a sharpshooter, I'm going to look for evidence that you are, right? Um, so all of this to say that there's a fantastic website that is a perfect demonstration of the clustering illusion and the sharpshooter fallacy. It's called uh, Spurious Correlations. And uh, it kind of became famous for this one chart it showed that mapped a correlation between people who drowned by falling in a pool over time, right, over different years, and films that Nick Cage appeared in in that year. And so the more films that Nick Cage appeared in, the more people drowned by falling in a pool, right? So... Again, if you go through a large enough sample size of data, you will find correlations that make no sense because, of course, if you look at a large enough number of things, some of them are going to line up, even though there's absolutely no reason for them to line up. Um, so that being said, just, you know, watch out for uh, years when Nick Cage is going to appear in a lot of movies. Just stay away from pools, right? That's the obvious conclusion. Um, so if you learn nothing else from this season of uh, the Cognitive Bias podcast, you know, please learn that. Um, so that is the Texas Sharpshooter Fallacy. That is this season two of, um, of the Cognitive Bias podcast, which has really all been all about kind of probability and how difficult time we have with probability and statistics. Um, and, uh, so don't feel bad if you have problems with that. Everyone does. It's kind of hardwired into us. So, um, and hopefully you've learned some things that'll help with fighting that, or at least to be aware that it's, you know, something to take all of these things you hear with it, with a grain of salt. Um, so we're off for the summer. I'm going to kind of take a summer break, um, and, and come back with season three in the fall. Uh, we're just going to hold the whole, whole new set of, of biases. Yeah. There are really that many biases. Um, and, uh, uh, we're probably going to have a couple special episodes. There's a couple people I'd like to interview, and if I can get those interviews, I'll probably throw them up during the summer. So a few special episodes will pop in here and there, but the regular weekly cadence will resume in the fall. And uh, have a great summer, and uh, we will see you next time for the Cognitive Bias Podcast. This is David Dylan Thomas. 